R E A R E A R E A R E A Audio Re-e-a, audio. 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 Re-e-a, Season two. Season two. Season two. If you really take a look at this Thanksgiving holiday, really take it seriously, you know, aside from the turkey and the parade and football, and look at what it's intended to be, this week you might spend a little time in reflection of the many blessings you have. We talk a lot on REA Audio about how easily we can get jaded in this industry and how easy it is to slip into the habit of just checking the boxes and not looking beyond the spreadsheets to the human beings behind each claim. Most of us in this country face problems that only 1% of the world faces. How do I get my kids to clean their room? My 401k is diminishing. The car needs new brakes. The price of milk is out of this world. And personally, I'm grateful for 1% problems and lots of other things, like the opportunity to talk with all kinds of really dedicated, smart, and interesting people on REA Audio. We finish up our conversation with Debbie Hammer this week. She's the specialty claims consultant and assistant vice president at Woodruff Sawyer. Debbie's going to share a few stories of success that directly relate to looking at the human behind the numbers. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Debbie Hammer, Specialty Claims Consultant, Assistant Vice President for Woodruff Sawyer. Uh, Debbie, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, some of your background and in and, and an article that you wrote. We'll talk about in just a second. But if you don't mind, just to kick things off, I'd love asking people this question because everybody's got a very, uh, I, I would say, strange way of uh, getting into this industry. So how did you get into the field of workers' compensation? Sure. Uh, thank you for asking, Todd. And that's no joke about being a strange way getting into <laughs> workers' comp. Certainly applies to me. And, you know, like a lot of people, I didn't go into insurance intentionally. Um, certainly not workers' comp. Um, maybe there were other things I could have thought about in insurance, but definitely workers' comp. Uh, it's a strange animal. Um, so I, I went to UC Davis in the late 80s. I'm dating myself. I graduated with a degree in psychology and a minor in education. And after that, I earned a master's in counseling from Sac State. So people do wonder how I ended up in workers' comp after all of that. Um, but I can explain. Um, I was 23 at the time and I really just wanted to take a break from study and start working for decent pay. I would have needed another two to three years of interning to get enough hours to become a licensed marriage, family and child counselor. Or I could have gone down the PhD route to really be marketable in my field, but I just didn't want to continue with school, you know, and I, I wanted to get back to back into some form of work. Um, didn't feel like I had enough life experience to provide in-depth counseling to people at my age at the time. Um, people who had been through a lot more adversity than I had. So I was thinking about what I could do to get my foot in the, the counseling door, thinking I might go back later and get my license. And I ended up in the field of vocational rehabilitation, which I really liked. Um, it seemed to be a more fo a focused, goal-oriented type of counseling, and it didn't require all of those licensing requirements. Um, so what I did as a vocational rehabilitation counselor is I worked directly with employees who had been injured on the job. 
Um, these were employees who had serious injuries that resulted in permanent work restrictions that precluded them from going back to their usual occupations. And my purpose was to help them find vocationally feasible alternatives, either through permanent modified or alternate work with their employer, on-the-job retraining uh, with a new employer or formal retraining in a new field. So I would write vocational rehabilitation plans and um, get insurance carriers to approve of them. And then, you know, my next gig came as a, a claims adjuster. And when California eliminated vocational rehabilitation from its workers' comp system, I had an opportunity to become a claims adjuster. And as strange as that sounds, I decided to try it. And to my family's dismay, ended up liking it. So, you know, most of us know that being in workers' comp claims is not a glorious occupation. Um, certainly not compared to being a marriage family child counselor. Um, but I really liked it. And I found that it, it really kept me on my toes. And there was so much to learn all the time in so many different areas. Um, sometimes I think that claims adjusters get a bad rap. You know, they, they're thought of as processors and they're, they're so not, you know, they, they work very hard and there's a lot to different sides of claims. There's the medical side, there's the legal and regulatory side, the investigation side of things, um, there's financial, and then there's the people side. Um, so um, that's how I ended up in, in workers' comp. And then I wore a lot of different hats on the claim side. I worked up to catastrophic loss adjuster and I became a supervisor for a while, and then I landed my current role as a claim consultant for Woodrow Sawyer. So tell us a little bit about your current role there. What is a specialty claims consultant? What do you do? So one of the main functions of my job is to pro provide clients with guidance on their workers' comp claims. And I act as a liaison between my clients and their workers' compensation insurance carrier. I track all phases of claims um, from the initial investigation, which addresses causation issues around injuries uh, to medical treatment and return to work, the final medical evaluation, and then settlement and closure. Um, and I also assist in litigation strategy and financial and reserve analysis on claims. So part of my time is uh, spent sitting behind the screen and reviewing claim files via claims adjuster notes. I spend a lot of time thinking, analyzing, and evaluating lots of different issues. And I also spend time collaborating with adjusters uh, and clients, sometimes defense attorneys as well, to problem solve and develop case strategies that everyone is satisfied with. Um, and that part can be challenging at times because people on different sides of the fence, uh, even actually on the same side of the fence sometimes, um, may disagree on the best approach when it comes to handling a claim because they can be complicated. Um, and so sometimes I feel like I'm a peacemaker, you know, I'm always trying to get everybody on the same page. And um, so, yeah, I, I tend to see myself more as a project manager. I'm facilitating the action plan 
trying to keep things on track, trying to keep things moving, and then, you know, making sure that as these cases develop, as the discovery process continues, are we still going in the right direction? Or do we need to pivot? We need to change up the strategy because now we have new information perhaps. So you've done, you've worn worn a lot of hats in the industry. You've done a lot of things and and this must've put you in contact with hundreds, if not thousands of claimants or injured workers. Um, You've gotta have a good one or two impactful stories, uh, things that, positive things that that came from either your work or the work of people that you were involved with with certain cases and and people so tell us your favorite human being story how were you able to be impactful or, or tell us an impactful story of someone that you've been able to be involved with so actually, Todd, this story is about reemployability. Oh boy! <laughs> and yes, I know. I, I swear I didn't you. send her a check. That's this is all uh, impromptu. But no, that's awesome. Thank you. Yes. So this story is is about an employee who worked for one of my clients in a construction trade. Um, this employee got hurt and. Uh, I don't actually remember the details of the injury or what body part he injured, which is usually something that I remember about claims. But in this case, I remember more about the outcome and and what happened with his experience with reemployability. So my client didn't have modified or alternate work and the adjuster contacted reemployability. We got on a call, we coordinated this, you know, transitional light duty assignment um, with one of the not-for-profit organizations that reemployability works with. Um, And I don't remember those details either about the work project. Um, uh, So according to my client, um, this man, this employee of theirs was just a mess. He had an alcohol problem, you know, smoking problem, weight problem, and this not-for-profit um, job assignment completely transformed his life. Um, he had never done volunteer work before this, and what he said was this charitable experience he had gave him this sense of purpose and this connection to a greater cause, and it really motivated him to become a better person, you know, and and get his life back together and back on track again. So he made this commitment to stop drinking, stop smoking and improve his overall health. And plus he also decided that once he was, you know, well enough to return back to his usual job in construction, he was still planning on continuing to volunteer. So I, wanted to share that story because I, I think it highlights how we can do just one positive thing in our lives, you know, or to help others. And it can have such positive ripple well-being effects. Yeah, we, you know, we hear that so many times that, uh, you know, initially injured workers are a bit apprehensive. Um, their level of apprehension lessens when there's really good communication from the employer explaining the why behind the program. 
But even in those cases, there's apprehension, right? You're going from not only have you just been injured and you've been at home and now you're finally stepping out uh, back into some sort of, of work environment, but it's a brand new one. You probably don't know anybody there and you're going to be doing something way outside of what you're normally used to doing. So, gosh, I would be apprehensive even if I wasn't healing from an injury at that point. Um, but then the the not-for-profits that we work with really embrace those injured workers and uh, I, we've heard that story so many times how they're they're they just relax once they're acclimated into the into the role and so many times people continue on uh, to volunteer even after they go back to the regular job so that's that's awesome it's nice to hear it from someone else i tell the sales team all the time all the sales strategies that i try to uh teach everybody they i tell them i i didn't make any of this stuff up right i, I hear it from somebody else and so it's nice to hear that story from someone else uh, because it's truly not made up it happens uh, so often and it's so it, it allows us to step back and really appreciate what we do on a daily basis. So I appreciate you sharing that. Debbie, uh, so again, with all the experience that you have in the workers' compensation world, there's got to be things that you've learned that you didn't expect to learn from either people internally or externally. What are some of the things that you've learned in your years in the workers' compensation world that you're like, gosh, I'm, I'm glad that I'm doing this because now I know this? So when it comes to people in my own field, which is workers' compensation, um, I think one of the things that I've learned is there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of overwhelm on all sides of handling workers' comp claims. And that's because claims is on the spending end of insurance. It's not like in the underwriting world where you know, these underwriters get to say they you know, are proud of bringing in new business and they save clients tons of money and claims, you're always going to be spending the client's money. So claims handling is really all about risk mitigation and it's all about asking, how do we stop the bleeding on this claim? How do we prevent these claims from becoming runaway trains? Um, and, and I think because of this, there's a lot of pressure. Claims can also be ambiguous, complex, and unpredictable, um, which is another source of frustration. And regulations are also unclear and subject to interpretation. So, you know, people get upset about what they can't control. And a lot of this can make for an acrimonious environment where there's a lot of disagreement between parties on the right course of action um, and sometimes there's finger pointing involved so kind of begs the question again why did I go into claims <laughs> and not counseling right um, <laughs> well I can see but, how the two go hand in hand there's no doubt well about you that. know that's true and yeah. and actually I've discovered over my years that I do use a bit of counseling in this role. And I, the one thing I've learned is that everyone from every side needs to be actively listened to and heard and validated. Um, and, and even if their opinion differs from mine or from the majority. Um, so I think if we put our egos aside, we'll do a better job of listening and collaborating and we always get better results, you know. So I think also if we keep the spirit of helping as our goal and thinking about what a fair balance is, we can usually find common ground. 
Um, and, you know, but one of the things, having said that, that I've learned about myself is that sometimes the best solution, you know, I think there's a solution to every problem, but sometimes that solution is changing my own expectations. So I realize that too, you know, when I need to just stop and be open to learning something from the process, um, maybe, you know, something new from a complex claim or from someone else's perspective. So, um, and I, the, the thing I'll say about what I've learned from people outside my industry and workers comp, you know, I, uh, my workers comp has always been my field, but I learn a great deal from my clients who come from all different industries. And, you know, there's stereotypes for different fields, such as construction workers using colorful language, you know, or having more smoking or alcohol problems. Um, and not all of these generalizations are true. Some might seem a little bit more fitting than others. Um, but the one thing I've learned about all industries is that people are a product of their environment and the culture that surrounds them. What happens in families happens in workplaces. And if the company culture and the leadership team is kind, supportive, and helpful, if they're relatable and they take ownership, then their employees, both managers and non-managers, are more likely to be this way too. Um, on the other hand, the reverse is true. If there's a negative, unsupportive environment where leaders don't take accountability, they don't attempt to connect with their employees, um, this is going to create a negative environment, um, maybe an environment of fear. It's going to breed negative people who want to fight back. So it really doesn't matter whether the client is in construction or healthcare or whatever industry they're in. You know, I've learned that employers who care about their employees create a place where people want to work for them. That's great. So um, I have a son who's in college and he's uh, he just turned 20 and uh, I, I try to instill in him everything that I wish I had done <laughs> when I was that age. And uh, I don't know if he likes me for that or not, but uh, I do it anyway, because I know my dad did that to me. And when you're when you're that age, a lot of times you don't realize the things that uh, your parents or your elders or however you want to phrase it. No, because of life experiences. So if you could anything you could change about your career track or about the things that you have done within the workers' compensation field. Is there anything that you can think of that if you told your 20-year-old self what you know today about your, your, your business or your professional life that you would want to tell that person? Because I know that there's younger people in the industry that listen to this podcast and um, maybe they would benefit from that. One thing that I can say is, so just for some context, um, about a year ago, I got a wellness certification. You know, I, I took some courses in the field of wellness. So I got a corporate wellness certification and it was something that I did in my own time. It was something I was personally interested in. Um, but then it really ties into what I do in workers comp and I've I've realized that wellness really is like a 
workers' comp risk mitigation strategy. It's not just something for healthcare on the employee benefit side. I think that if you pair it with workers' comp, with safety, loss control, and general wellness, then, you know, um, there will be better results on claims. You know, fewer injuries, less severe injuries. And I, I wish I had gotten that certification a long time ago. I wish I hadn't waited, you know, all this time, but I didn't really think about it. I, I, I don't know why, but I didn't. Um, so that's one thing is, and I'm now seeing more of a trend where both employers and carriers are starting to think about integrating workers' comp and wellness, you know, tying in loss control, safety, and health and wellness benefits with workers' comp because of these reasons, you know, it's all related. If you have a healthier workforce, then you're, you know, if you're focused on helping um, people stay strong musculoskeletally, I don't know if I said that correctly, but, <laughs> uh, you know, with uh, working on those things and preventing diabetes and obesity, um, being mindful of mental health, you're gonna have those less severe injuries. You'll have a stronger, more resilient workforce. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I would say about something that I would have done sooner. Debbie Hammer, Specialty Claims Consultant, Assistant Vice President at Woodruff Sawyer. Thank you so much for spending some time with us last week and this week. And uh, I hope you come back and talk to us again sometime. Thank you so much, Todd. Thanks for listening to REA Audio. If you have any comments or suggestions for an upcoming episode, let us know. Find us on Twitter at REA Audio Podcast. That's the best place for feedback and show suggestions. Also, please follow REA Audio on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check out more content at listentorea.com. If you have a story to tell or you know someone who does, please don't be shy. Email Todd at reemployability.com or tell us on Twitter at REA Audio Podcast. Have a great rest of your week and happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>